Well, second service, how are we doing already this morning? Everybody feeling good? Uh, well, that was seven of you. Uh, we're going to try that again. Chris, how are you doing today? That's what I'm talking about. Second service, how are we feeling? Good, good, good. Hey, well, my name is Pastor Zach. Uh, my wife Jenna and I had the opportunity and the pleasure of planting this church with 36 other people uh, about five and a half years ago. And if you're new here, listen, this, this is a dialogue. I had to wake first service up. This isn't some monologue where I just stand up here and talk to you for the next 30 minutes. We're going to conversate back and forth. So make some noise. Don't stare at me with blank stares. All right. You got that? We're good. Amber, you, you tracking? All right. Perfect. As, as I say, don't stare at me with blank stares. Her mouth is shut and she's just shaking her head. Are you, oh, that's right. You just came from work. How many hours did you work? You worked 12 hours last night? And you, like, that's commitment. Like, you literally worked 12 hours last night. You're a nurse, and you came in, and you're coming to church, and you're going to do your very best to stay awake. And, and you're on the third row. You're not even in the back. All you backsliders out back there in the back. Like, you're, no, we're, we're going to have fun today. So, a couple of announcements before we get started. The first announcement that I have, I'm going to ask Miss Megan Oswald to come to the stage. Y'all make some noise for Miss Megan. I got to help. Oh, you got it. You got it. So last Wednesday was Megan's birthday. And so we like to celebrate individuals. Megan's been on staff with us. She's been a part of our church. She came the second week that we planted. So we planted week one. She came week two. So she's been with us since the beginning. And we want to honor her and celebrate her. So on the count of three, we're just going to scream happy birthday, Megan. We ain't got time to like sing happy birthday, all right? Happy birthday, Megan, on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. That's what I'm talking about. So y'all, she really loves when people comes up and talks to her. It doesn't make her uncomfortable at all. So make sure you grab her in the lobby, tell her happy birthday, give her a big hug. Y'all make some noise. Manny, go ahead and come up, give her her gift, and then we'll, we'll give that to her. Y'all make some noise one more time for Megan. We're going to bring her on stage as much as possible because she absolutely loves being up here. Uh, Two announcements, really one and the same. Go ahead and throw that slide on the screen. Uh, every year we have our women's and our men's retreat, two separate retreats where the ladies get to get, a, get away and, and be with several ladies for a couple of days. The fellas go away and, and they're with the guys for a couple of days. But, but man, I can't say how much of an impact these events have had on our church. Uh, there's something that happens when we go away together, when the ladies go away, when the fellas go away, and, and we just grow deeper together. So if you are interested, I'm not going to even say if you're interested. If you're not interested, sign up anyway because there's some people in the church that aren't interested, but you need to go. You're wondering why you're not getting connected in the church. It's because you're not taking time to get connected in the church. I'll step off my soapbox. I'm sorry if I stepped on your toes. Uh, but seriously, sign up for these events. So our ladies retreat, women's uh, is July 13th through the 15th. And fellas, ours is August 17th through the 19th. So make sure you sign up for those. So we've been in our, our series in the book of Romans the last three weeks, we're going to continue that series. We'll be in Romans chapter 4 today. In Romans 1 through 3, I don't, I don't know about you, but man, they've convicted me. They've challenged me. They've given me some insight. And maybe you've missed a week or two of that. Go back on YouTube. Go back on our, our, our app. Check out those sermons because we're going to continue to go through Romans uh, chapter by chapter each week. And again, today we're in chapter 4. Earlier this week, I had the opportunity to travel with Pastor Manny up to Ohio to be a part of the Church Multiplication Network, or CMN. And that's an organization within our denomination that, that is committed to planting churches. That's the sole purpose. So I had the opportunity a couple times a year to go be with individuals that are planting. And, and this past week, there was about 15 new church plants. And, and every time we coach, every conversation we have, 
the ultimate thing that we try to get these church planters to realize is that they're building something that's supposed to outlast them. Planting a church isn't just about stepping in a community and and being here while I'm here, while Zach's here because we planted the church a few years ago. No, it's supposed to be something that outlasts me. I'm, I'm the interim pastor. There will be someone that comes after me. And our goal in planting a church, any church plant, is to build a foundation that will outlast the people who plant. Craig Rochelle did a podcast back in May, and it's, it, the podcast was this, The One Mindset You Need to Succeed. And Craig says this, there's one major problem in organizations and churches, and people don't even know that it's a problem. And he goes on to say, the problem is, the odds are low that what you're leading will last for years to come. And when I heard him say that statement, I'm thinking, great, we just planted a church five and a half years ago, and you're telling me that the odds are low that what we started will outlast us. How do we build a foundation to something that will outlast who we are? How do we build a foundation in this church? How do you build a foundation in your life that will last for the generations to come? Let's take a look at research. I don't know if you knew this or not, but in business alone, in businesses Only 12% of businesses make it to the third generation. Only 4% of businesses make it to the fourth generation. So Walt, you and your brother, you started a business. You have have a fitness business, Govea Fitness. How how long ago did you start that? You're you're in year six. It's the same thing as like the church. That's kind of cool and unique. But but here's the, statistically, Now, I'm not wishing this for you. I'm not telling you this is going to happen. I'm just saying, statistically, your business has a 12% success rate to last to the third generation. So if you pass it to your son and he passes it to his son or daughter, the chances are only 12% of the time that it happens. Only 4% of the time it goes to the fourth generation. And so we look at these statistics and and we can look at family wealth and and generally speaking, most family wealth disappears by the third generation. Some of you are thinking, third generation, it's disappearing before my eyes right now. (laughs) Don't check your, does anybody else get their retirement envelope or is it just me? You look at it and go, don't open it, don't open it, don't throw it away, Zach. And then you like rip it open and you're like, I shouldn't have looked at it. I'm putting more in and I'm losing money every month. Anybody else? No, just me? Okay. Okay. but my, my grandfather, man, my grandfather, he finished eighth grade. He didn't go to high school. He started working uh, on the farm, the family farm. Uh, they lived in Laurenburg, North Carolina, and they, they grew tobacco and they, they grew cotton. And, and at, in, after eighth grade, his parents said, that's enough education. You got to come to the farm and work. And fast forward, my grandfather went to Vietnam. He got two Purple Hearts. And once he got back from Vietnam, he, he started businesses. He was an entrepreneur. And man, he would grind, he would hustle, and he, and he started these things. And then my dad came along, and, and my dad wasn't that great with money. He, my, well, that's not true. My dad knew how to spend money really well. So in my family, it went away in one generation. And here I am, I'm, I'm learning how to hustle, and I'm learning how to grind. But, but look, if you look at churches, churches, we know that churches are, are hard to kill. And, and this is what I mean by that. You, you've seen, you drive down any road in the United States, and you see a church here, a church there, a church here, a church there. The problem is those churches used to be thriving. 
They used to have several hundred people or maybe even several thousand people. They used to be the center of the community. And now some of those buildings just act as museums because there's 20 to 30 people inside the church. And they're these historic sites of what used to be. It's the representation of what used to be in the community, and now they have faded away. And if we continue to look at it, what we know is that churches, most churches, statistically speaking, only have a shelf life of 10 to 12 years at best to where they're thriving, not just maintaining. But the question is, is why? Simon Sinek puts it this way in his new book. He says, it's the difference between playing a finite game and an infinite game. It's the difference between focusing on what I have to focus on to succeed myself versus focusing on something that will outlast me. So let's look at the first, the second, and the third generation. If we look at the first generation, the first generation is the generation that builds it. They build it. And what do they do? They they risk. They have faith. Why? Because they'll risk it all. Why? Because they don't have anything to lose. My grandfather went all in on starting some businesses because he didn't have anything to lose. Jenna and I went all in on starting a couple businesses several years ago because we didn't have anything to lose. We sold a car so she could start her bakery. We, had, we didn't have any money to lose. We had a couple thousand bucks. We're like, well, if it fails, I can go drive an Uber and make that up in a couple weeks. Like, we didn't have anything to lose. The first generation will always risk. They always have the faith to believe because they have a dream in their heart and they have a direction that they want to go to. But once that organization or that system is passed to the second generation, the second generation has a mindset that shifts. And they, something, they say something like this, let's just play it safe. And they'll make excuses as to why they're not risking anymore. And they see the growth and they just want to maintain it because if I can maintain, then I can make it last at least during my lifetime. But then we get to the third generation. What happens in the third generation in any organization, in any business, in any church, and maybe you've seen this in some of your family dynamics, but they get satisfied with what they have and they squander it. They say, look at what we have. Look look at the resources that I've obtained. You hadn't obtained anything. Your dad wrote you a check. You didn't do anything to deserve it. You didn't do anything to get it. It was given to you. And they get comfortable. They don't have to grind. They don't have this mindset. There's no grit. And honestly, they just begin to get careless and and squander what they've been given. So here's the major, major question. How do we combine part of the third and first generation? How do we combine the third generation's resources and the first generation's mindset? How do we incorporate the two? Now, to me, it all starts with tithing. Now, don't worry. This isn't a financial message. I'm not going to talk about tithing long, but it's a principle that's in the Bible, and we need to reference it. Why? Because I believe in preaching the fullness of the Bible. The Bible tells us to give our first 10% back to God. By the way, there's no clause in the Bible when it comes to tithing. Zach, what do you mean? There's no clause that says, I have to save for my kid's college before I tithe. There's no clause that says, I have to save for the down payment on the new house that I want or the new car that I want before I tithe. 
There's no clause that says I have to save for that vacation before I tithe. There's no clause that says I have to save for my retirement before I tithe. Can I remind us all in the room that we can never outsave God? We can't do it. But for some reason, we want to we store away stuff for us so that we feel comfortable. We want to be our own safety net allow, or, without allowing our faith to be expanded in what God has called us to. Josh Randall is a buddy of mine who goes to church here. He, he puts it this way. He says, if you need help with calculating the tithe, then take a look at your paycheck, enter that number into a calculator, and divide that by .10. If some of us did that, I saw somebody's head shake in the back. Like, what? Like, you see that initial number and there's a knot in your stomach. Like, what do you mean that's what I'm supposed to? That's just what the Bible tells us to tithe. That's what the tithe is. It's the first 10%. To God, the tithe is non-negotiable. Now, statistically speaking, let me ask this question. And y'all can just shout out some percentages. Statistically speaking, if you are a professing Christ follower... What would you say the percentage is in America of people that tithe is? Just throw out some percentages. 25%? Anybody else? Throw out some percentages. 2%? 4%? 12%? Anybody else? Throw out some numbers. 15? 10? Amber, you're 5. You're not even, a, you're like, you're awake. You're here. You're with us. 5%. 3%? Anybody else want to throw out any more numbers? Dakota, what do you think it is? 30%. Let me, let me just give you the, the statistics. One study showed that out of the 247 million U.S. citizens that identify as Christ followers, out of that number, 247 million, only 1.5 million actually tithe. Let me give you this statistic. Another study showed that individuals not just that identify as Christ followers, but individuals that show up at the church People that say they go to church at least one to two times a month. Out of those individuals, only four to five percent of the local church members actually tithe. That's wild to me. That means in a room this size, about four or five, maybe six of you could stand up and say that you actually tithe. Now, here's the good news when it comes to our church. We have about 35 to 40% of our individuals that actually tithe. That's something, to, that's something to celebrate. That's something to be proud about. Here's the good news. The good news is we're higher than the national average. The bad news is not everybody would be standing. And I don't say that to convict you. I say that because I'm here to teach you the word of God in its fullness. So that's the good news. That's the bad news. So how do we get the third generation resources we're called to give what God has called us to give? Now let's fast forward to the first generation mindset. How do we get that? We will be a church that has grit, that has hustle, that's dedicated to what God has called us to, and that works hard to receive it. We have to have that combination of the first and the third. It sounds great, but the question is, what will we do with what we've been given? We pick up in Romans chapter 4, and Paul is talking about heritage and legacy as he begins to write. And he says this starting in verse 1. He says, Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way. For the scriptures tell us Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something that they have earned. 
but people who are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. Drop down to verse 11. So Abraham is the spiritual father of those who have faith, but have not, not been circumcised. They are counted as righteous because of their faith. Clearly, God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was based not on his obedience to God's law, but on the right relationship with God that comes by faith. Verse 16, so the promise is received by faith. It is a gift that is given freely, and we are all certain to receive it whether or not we live according to the law of Moses. It's if we have faith like Abraham's, for Abraham is the father of all who believe. Verse 18, even when there is no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. There's five principles that we can pull out of those few verses in Romans chapter 4. And, and we've already asked the question, what will you do with what you've been given? Now, in order to multiply what you've been given, the first thing that you have to do is honor the people who have gone before you. Remember, Paul's writing, and, and that the second part of verse 11, he says, so Abraham is the spiritual father of all those who have faith. Paul is writing to the church in Rome to remind them that the foundation that was laid for their church was laid far before they were even a church. Let, let me put that in our context for Multiply Lake Norman. We are not here today because of five and a half years ago, Jenna and I decided to plant a church with 36 people. We're here today because 65 years ago, a guy by the name of Pastor Tom Whitten lay, literally laid underneath a baby grand piano during a prayer service in Lakeland, Florida, and felt called to Concord, North Carolina to plant a church. So he moves up and he plants the church and he establishes the church. And, and at his retirement, a guy by the name of Pastor Rick Ross, not Rick Ross, but a different Rick Ross, the ones who laughed, I'm judging you right now. The ones who didn't laugh, you're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. You're probably going to heaven. <laughs> but, but Rick and Susan Ross traveled 3,000 miles from Seattle, Washington. And they took over for Pastor Tom and Betty Whitten. And then when he moved to the, what we call our district office, Pastor Doug and Camden Witherup moved in to be the lead pastors of our entire network. When Jenna and I moved from Georgia to Charlotte, I got a phone call from Doug because of some relationship that we had in the past. And he said, hey, let's grab lunch. I said, all right, where do you want to meet? He said, let's meet in Concord at Famous Toast. I said, all right, Famous Toastery. I said, all right, let's go. We both sat down and we both ate crab benedicts. And he said, hey, what do you think about planting a church in the Lake Norman area? I said, let's do it. Didn't even ask Jenna. Let's do it. And then we came up and we had... We had dinner with them. We walked around the college. We drove around the community. We, when we walked on the college, we walked into the little chapel that's open 24-7. And when we walked in, I, my eyes kind of got some tears in it. And it wasn't because like, I had this emotional moment where my heart was breaking for the community or something like that. But it, it was because I knew that I was walking along on the path that God had created me for. I, I knew that I knew that I knew that we were called to plant a church in this area. But I couldn't tell that story without honoring Pastor Tom and Betty Whitten. 
I couldn't tell that story without honoring Pastor Rick and Susan Ross. I couldn't tell that story without honoring Pastor Doug and Camden Witherup. We are where we are because of their prayers. Some of you, you are where you are because y'all had some praying grandmas. Some of you had some praying mamas. Some of you had dads who instilled principles in your life that, that carried you to the future that you see yourself going to. That's why you are where you, you have to honor the past. The second thing that we have to do, we have to understand the power of being part of something that's bigger than ourselves. As a church, the promise of multiply is bigger than the pastor. It's bigger than the four walls of this church. It's bigger than the people that are here. Newsflash, in your personal life, the promise of God goes far beyond you. You've heard me say this statement before. Who couldn't tell their salvation story without mentioning your name? You follow Christ so that you can lead others to Christ. The promises, the desires, the future that God has for you goes far beyond your personal life. That's called being selfish. You didn't get saved so you could get a get-out-of-hell-free card. You got saved so that you could bring other people into the kingdom of God. That's what God has called us to do. It's bigger than you. It's bigger geographically, and it's bigger generationally. Think about what we've done as a church here in Lake Norman. We planted five and a half years ago. We started in a little movie theater right down the street. And we grew and we grew and we grew and we outgrew the space. We had nowhere else to go. Just happened to turn out that Liberty Prep was building this building as we were running out of space. Matt, you just happened to call me. You just happened to tell me that they had a, a theater that we could probably meet in. And we just happened to to go meet with Amy Weir. And she just happened to take it to the board. And she just happened to have a conversation. We have to understand that we're called to take one step at a time, but what we're doing goes far beyond us. If we look at geographically, after we got into this space, what did we do? We planted a church, as a church, we planted a church in Nicaragua. There are people serving the Lord in Nicaragua right now because of your faithfulness, because of your sacrifices. We planted a church, or we're actively planting a church in Namibia. Excuse me, Zambia. <laughs> Sorry, Adam. In Zambia. So Brian, uh, Brian King and, and Toby Hudson, man, they kept talking to, to me about this guy named Esau and, in Zambia. And Brian went to Zambia a couple months ago. And in that meeting, we said we established that we were going to buy land as a church, as this church, we're going to buy land and we're going to build a building in Livingston, Zambia. And we said we were going to have an interest meeting. Who, who would be interested in being part of this church? And Brian was there. He was kind of leading the charge for that. We had 75 people show up saying that they wanted to be a part of our church that we're planting. We hadn't even planted it yet. What we're doing here goes far beyond us geographically. And if you heard what I said about 30 seconds ago when I slipped, you know what's coming next. And the guy's already in the room. What we do as a church goes far beyond us geographically, but it also goes far beyond us generationally. If we read verse 15, the scripture reads like this, to Abraham and his descendants. I'll put it this way. If your dream can be accomplished during your lifetime, then it's not a God-sized dream. That's a selfish dream. 
If what you want to come to pass can happen within your lifetime and doesn't require God, that's called selfish ambition. God's calling us to dream God-sized dreams. If your dream doesn't include nations, maybe it's too small. I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of something that's bigger. It's bigger than anything that I could ever dream of myself. I want to dream something so big that I can't accomplish it, accomplish it on my own. I want to dream something so big that requires a church community, that requires generations to come. I want to dream something so big that requires my daughters to pick up the mandolin and to keep running. That's the kind of dreams I want to dream. Your dreams will grow or shrink to the size of the people around you. Now, I told you when I go coach uh, these church planners, sometimes I wonder why I'm even in the room. Because oftentimes, this isn't a knock on our church, this is just the reality. Oftentimes when I go to coach, I represent the smallest church in the room. There are pastors that we were with this past week, a couple of the pastors, man, they pastor churches that have 1,000, 2,000. One guy pastored a church that has 8,000. I've been asked to speak for a, a leadership team of a church, uh, and I told my buddy, yeah, man, I'll, I'll, spe I'll speak for you, or I'll, not, not at their church, but I'll speak to your leadership team. Hey, I want you to instill some of the principles that you study during your PhD. Great, I'll, I was, I'll instill it, and let, let's talk. They get their leadership team together, and it's more people than in this room. <laughs> I'm like, your leadership team is bigger than our church. <laughs> you sure you want me to talk? By the way, your church is 15,000 people. Are you sure you want me to speak to your leadership team? And we, we can have this notion in our head, we, we can either be intimidated or we can be inspired. We can be intimidated about the rooms that we walk in or the people that we try to encourage, or we can be inspired going, God, I don't know why you're using me, but continue to use me. I'm just a vessel. I'm just your mouthpiece. You just speak in and through me. Some people choose small dreams because it gives them an excuse not to grow. Some people choose small dreams because it's comfortable. Some people choose small dreams because then you don't have to worry about failure. Some people choose small dreams because you feel like with, with the, the skill set that you're equipped with, you can make it come to pass, and you don't have to trust God. Again, that's not a dream. That's called selfish ambition. Now, for Lake Norman, I know in my gut that God is calling us to nations and generations. It's not because of what I feel, but it's because of the promise and the mandate throughout Scripture. And I'll tell you this, I see, I see Multiply Church, Lake Norman, having three locations around the lake. I see us having five international churches. By the way, that vision is just for the next five years. I, I don't know if you could handle what I feel like God is calling us to the next 10, 15, and 20 years. I don't want to scare you away just yet. All right, I need you to, need you to walk with me. But if I told you what God is calling us to after that five years, there's people in the room that would think there's no way that's possible. And you're absolutely right. It's not possible unless we have God. It's not. But again, I'm not called to dream dreams that I can make come to pass. I'm called to have God-sized dreams. A couple of my buddies, they were in here first service, but I talked about um, Zach Brock and, and Jake Norris, and they planted, uh, or they, they built a, a gym uh, in the local area, and and I had, I've had conversations with them, and I know that if they told, four years ago, if they told all of their dream before they started the gym, people would look at them and tell them they're crazy. Chris, you're in a unique season right now. 
If you told everybody all of your dreams that you want to do after this season of your life, they would probably look at you and go, you're a little crazy. Well, I know, I've been, I've been to your gym a couple times, a handful of times. And man, every time I walk in, it's like you guys are expanding. And I, I know that that's just a glimpse of the dream and the vision that you have for your business. Adam, I know what you're, the season that you're about to step into. And I know that, that you've shared some stuff with people, but I know that there's so much inside of you that you haven't even released yet. You're, you're just like, you're just dripping it out. You haven't released everything out. Because if you release it all, people look at you, but you're, you're kind of crazy. Like, we need to put him in a home. But the reality of it is, you couldn't accomplish all that's inside of you without God. You couldn't do it. I want to live that type of life. I want to live as if I have to rely on God, that I can't make it come to pass on my own. The third thing that we have to realize is this. We have to get the blessing behind the blessing. Why, why does the third, when we look at statistics, why does the third generation lose it? The answer is simple. They got the blessing, but they didn't get the mindset. Take a look at the first part of verse 16. So the promise is received by faith. If we're, not, if we're not careful, we'll focus on receiving the promise instead of how to receive the promise. It's not just about receiving the promise from God. It's about learning how to receive the promise from God. And the how is through faith. But this, this is what I know, and we've seen these statistics. 70% of lottery winners end up broke, and a third declare bankruptcy. That's wild to me. They can win millions upon millions of dollars. The problem is your money will always find its way back to the level of your mindset. And if you have a broke mindset, you'll always be broke. I don't, I don't want to just be a millionaire. I want to learn how to be a millionaire. I want to have the mindset of a millionaire. I want to learn how to steward money. I want to learn how to steward resources. If someone gave me a million dollars right now, the first thing that I'm doing, I'm going to a financial advisor. I'm not going to go, I might go, I'm going to go pay off my house. So if anybody wants to write a check, I'm going to go pay off my house and pay off Jenna's car. That's it. Then I'm going to financial advisor. I don't want to just receive. I want to learn how to receive. Now, if we look at Abraham, we're talking about him and Paul's writing about him. We'll talk about Abraham for a little bit. God could have given Isaac to Abraham the next day after he received the promise. But he wanted Abraham's faith to grow. See, first we need our faith to grow to receive the blessing, and then we'll use that faith to steward the blessing. Don't give me what you have. Tell me how you got it. Teach me how to get it. It's the blessing behind the blessing. The most important thing that we have is our faith, and, and God wants our faith to grow deeper in him. I've heard Pastor Doug say this once. He said, often a move in the physical is tied to the move in the spirit. God is challenging us, challenging you to take one step. And as you move, he moves. He will never outpace you. He's going to be with you every single step of the way. And we see that in scripture. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. And to Abram, leave the land of your father and go. To Jacob and Bethel, Joshua, Joshua crossing over the Jordan, the disciples going to the upper room. And then they were called to go to Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, and to Antioch, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Number four, we have to be a people of unreasonable hope. 
Verse 18, even when there was no hope, no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping. Maybe you're sitting in your seat, your pastor, I ain't got no hope. Good, you're in good company. Because Abraham didn't have hope. Has anyone, has anyone ever said to you, hey, you're just, you're just being unreasonable? Oftentimes I want to look back at him and say, you don't know how unreasonable I can be. I tell some people, we're called to have three locations around Lake Norman. We're going to have five international. Zach, you're being unreasonable. You don't even have a building yet. You don't know how unreasonable I can be. Because all I'm rocking with right now is some faith. And I'm going to ride with faith. And I'm going to have faith. I'm going to keep having faith. And if that's all I ever have, guess what? At least I still have faith. You don't, ha- you don't know how unreasonable I can be. What, what if we lived like that? What if we shifted our mindset? Number five, be people who never waver. We see this in scripture. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. Now, all that reads really, really well, and it seems to line up perfectly. But, but as you dive in, I wish I could have been sitting across the table from Paul as he's writing. Because I said, hey, hey, bud, sounds really good. Question. You're reading about the same guy that I was reading about? Sa- same Abraham? Because, because when I read about Abraham, I remember reading that he was so scared of a king that he lied about Sarah being his wife and said that she was his sister. And then he passed on that spirit of deception to Isaac. And then that got to his grandson, son Jacob. So much so that his grandson was named Jacob the deceiver. And then he stole the birthright from Esau by deception. Are we reading about the same guy? Paul keeps writing, goes, I imagine Paul would look up from the table and go, yeah, but he never wavered. Keeps writing. Well, well hey, what, what about the other kid? Because when I read about Abraham, it wasn't just Isaac. Because Abraham got so impatient and so insecure of God's ability to keep his promise that he slept with his wife's servant and had an illegitimate son that grew into a nation that fought against the Israelites for thousands and thousands of years. So much so to the point that we're still dealing with those effects today. Are we talking about the same Abraham? I imagine Paul looks up. Yeah, but he never wavered. And he keeps writing. And he keeps writing because he wants us to get to the second part of the verse. And the second part of the verse says this. In fact, his faith grew stronger. He never wavered. In fact, his faith grew stronger. How, how will you respond to the failures in your life? See, your faith can go stronger if you don't quit. I told you we coach church planners And one thing that we say to every single church plant is this. The only way your church plant will fail is if you quit. Well, the only way that your gym will fail is if you quit. Adam, the only way that the next season that you're stepping into will fail is if you quit. Chris, the only way that you fail right now in work is if you quit. And for some of us, we need to realize that the only way that we fail is if we give up, is if we pack it in, is if we quit. The only person that loses is the person that quits. 
I can confidently tell you about three locations around the lake and five locations internationally. Why? Because there's no quit in me. I don't know the, I don't know the word. I don't understand it. In, in eighth grade, in eighth grade, I, I, played, I played football for two years. Seventh grade and eighth grade. And, and I remember going to tryouts. We would do these Oklahoma drills and they would line up, they would line up the pads on the side. Coach Mickles, blow that whistle. And as soon as it, we we're all kind of in a circle, and as soon as he blew that whistle, he wanted, he wanted people to jump in to do the Oklahoma drill. He'd blow the whistle once, you'd have time to get set, he'd blow the whistle again, and then you'd go at it. Y'all, I was about 4'3", 107 pounds soaking wet. I looked for a picture. There's a picture. I'll bring it one day. My mom looked for it. She couldn't find it. But I'm literally, like, head and short, shoulders shorter than everybody else. Like, have you, y'all ever seen Little Giants? Y'all know the dude that wears the glasses and his shoulder pads are up like this. And he's like, that's what I was like. Like, the shoulder pads were bigger than me. They, they like, enveloped me. They engulfed me. And I remember Coach Mickles would, he'd blow that whistle. And then I'd rush to the line and I'd get set. And I kid you not, I got destroyed time and time and time again. So much so I did this during first service. I, I vividly remember I got leveled one time and I'm like on my back. And I'm like trying to like crawl, like get away. And he blows the whistle again and I roll over and I get like, I, I get back on the line. And then he grabs me by my shoulder pads and he throws me in front of every, everybody, blows the whistle twice, tells everybody to circle around thinking, well, this is the way I get kicked off the team. And I'll never forget the words that he said, good, bad, or ugly. They, they've stuck with me my entire life. But Coach Mickle said this. He says, if we have half the heart and half the confidence that Zach has, we won't lose a game all season. That's all I had. I didn't have the size. I didn't have the ability. All I had was no quit. No quit. Problem is, I still live like that sometimes. There's no quit in me. Come hell or high water, there's no quit what would your life look like if you had that type of mindset what would your life look like e even if the enemy throws everything he has at you even if you feel like you're in the bottom of the valley even if you if you commit to yourself in this moment I have no quit that, that's the type of mindset I want to have I don't I don't care what happens in life. I'm gonna fall, I'm gonna make mistakes, but guess what? There's no quit. There's no give up. There's no give in. Maybe there's something wrong in my brain. I, literally, it doesn't register. Some of y'all have played pickleball with me. And Manny and I are playing right now in a league on Monday nights. And two weeks ago, two weeks ago, this was horrible. This is the worst we've ever been beaten. By the way, we haven't lost since this game, but I'll tell you about this one. We were down 16 to three, and they, they made the siren for like the three minute warning. And, and I looked at me, I was like, we still got a chance. We're down 13, we've only scored three in 15 minutes, but guess what, there's still, you're telling me there's a chance. Some of y'all will get that reference. You're telling me there's a chance. Like I've got, I don't know if it's good or not, but I've got no quit. So as we stand across this room, my hope and my prayer is this, as we step back into worship, 
that regardless of what's going on in our life, regardless of what's going on in this season, we will worship God and we will commit to having no quit.